Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, let me just say some things about Psalm 119. It's broken up to t- into 22 sections, and each section has eight verses. So, math quiz, what is eight times 22? I hear all kinds of things. <laughs> 176. Whoever said that, yeah, you win the prize. Um, So it has 176 verses, 22 sections. Each section is a Hebrew letter. Um, So it's the complete alphabet. It's like us singing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But this is the psalm that has every single letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, throughout this psalm, the, the psalmist has... Different synonyms for what we call the word, okay? So there is law, mentions law 25 times, that's Torah, and it's the instruction, the the, um, requirements, um, most probably Deuteronomy, Leviticus, but there's also mention of scriptures called part of the law, in the New Testament, even Jesus quoting some which are outside of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So we consider what we call the Old Testament when we read that in the, in the New Testament and we read the word law, we think of the Old Testament and the instructions given there. Um, the word word is mentioned 20 times and that is God's spoken word revealed to us. Then we have the word judgment. It's mentioned 23 times, and that is regulations. Again, a, a, judicial, a judicial order, a decision. Then we have testimonies. 23 times it's mentioned in this psalm, which represents witness, God's declarations concerning his nature, his purpose, We have commandment, which is mentioned 22 times, and that is an order from a higher authority. We know that's God. So we have commandments. We have law, word, judgment, testimonies, commandments. Then we have statutes, mentioned 21 times, and that relates to an engraved, an inscribed word, like think of it as set in stone. So we have statutes. Then we have precepts, 21 times. And those are specific instructions. And and there's other mentions, but it's good for us to to recognize as we're reading Psalm 119. We're not going to read the whole psalm. (laughs) I know some of you got a little worried there. But no, as we're reading a portion of Psalm 119, um, every mention of law, word, judgment, testimonies, commandments, precepts, statutes, it all represents what we know as the word, as the word. The word, this, what we have here with us is God's complete instruction, commandments, his, his desire, his revelation for us. Um, if there's one theme in this Bible is God's love for us. And it's all here. When Jesus says it, it is finished, he means it is finished. And he gave us the ability 
to, to receive his Holy Spirit, to receive forgiveness, receive a new life, to understand, to have this word that he put together. And even though men were involved, we know that the Bible speaks of um, portions of the Old Testament as the Holy Spirit says. So the Holy Spirit put this together using people, but it was established and it was um, something that now we know that we have it set in stone and it's given to us. It's God's word. So for us, every mention of these words is God's word. And throughout the psalmist, we see that there's a love for God's word. There's a love so much for God's word that it's not just the letters, it's not just the doctrine, it's not just those commands and laws, but every mention of God's word relates to God himself in Psalm 119. Every mention of God's word. So we see that God's word is so closely related to God himself. Um, I'm not sure if, who knows this. If you've lived in Miami, you may know this for, for a while. But um, during the Mariel boat lift, um, I met this guy. He, he worked in, Matthew met him too. He worked in, uh, for Ocean Bank. And um, when the refugees came from Cuba, there were a lot of wealthy refugees that came, but they didn't have the cash, they didn't have the credit, they didn't have certain things that would allow you to really um, invest and grow and start a business. So um, this person that worked a, a, in a, the loan department, I think he was an executive in Ocean Bank, convinced the executives that we will make loans for these people based on their name, based on who their family is, based on what we know, what people know about their family. So you have a person that, that, has, that comes that doesn't have that credit, that doesn't have the things that they can show for a proper loan today. If you've tried to get a loan, you know how difficult that could be sometimes. And... Then they just recognized, they asked them questions, they found out, oh, who are you, what's your family? And they know this person is good for their word. So we have an example, and that, that worked. And really, there, there, there's businesses that are thriving alive today. Miami boomed, you know, through, through all of this. And um, if we have that trust, and a man can put that trust in a family name, how much more should we put trust in God? How much more should we put trust in the author of this word that we're reading? And to know that it's his name that's behind all of this and everything we're reading is a sure thing that we can put all of our hopes and, and thoughts and faith into that. So with that being said, we're going to go to a section in Psalm 119, which starts in verse 33. Every one of these sections starts with a letter, like I said. When I first read this, I thought that this letter was he. If you see it in your Bible, it's H-E. But no, it's pronounced he. So that's, that's something good to know. So it's he. And that letter is actually in the Hebrew um, mentioned in every single one of these lines. And the eight lines starts with that letter. There's so much to get into just on the letter. And when I started doing studies on this, and 
Um, it's beyond the teaching for today, but let's start in verse 33. We're going to go through verse 33. I'm going to mention some verses, but then the real focus is going to be verse 37. So starting in verse 33, we read, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe, observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. We'll stop right there. There's a, a sense of total dependency on God throughout Psalm 119, and, and especially in these three verses and the verses that we read. Teach me, give me, make me. Later on he says, incline my heart, turn away my eyes, revive me. There's a complete dependency on the Lord. And in each one of these first few verses, there's a request and then there's a response. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statues, verse 33, and I shall keep it to the end. So you see here the psalmist is looking at the word of God, desiring to know more about the word of God, and he's asking God to teach him. And that's how we should approach the word of God. Whenever we are alone, whenever we are studying the word of God, it shouldn't be as, so much as trying to intellectually understand a book, even though there is times where we do want to dig deep and, and understand certain things and phrases and, and meanings and other things. But really to be taught the word of God, it comes from God himself. It's asking him, Lord, teach me. We're given his spirit. When we receive Jesus Christ and his blessing, his, his forgiveness, what he's done for us, he's promised his Holy Spirit, and he's given us that. And so the, the Spirit teaches us, shows us. We read in verse 34, give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Again, a total dependency on God. Give me understanding. And indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. So you see, there's a request and there's a response. When God does the work he does in our hearts, there's action. There's changes in our lives. That understanding, I think about when, have you ever asked somebody um, the meaning of a joke? You know, has someone ever told you a joke and then you're like, hmm? I don't get it. So then you ask it, and then they explain it. And maybe it takes a couple times. You keep asking, and you're like, oh, I get it. And still not funny. <laughs> and, and that's how it is. We, we, sometimes we're not getting it, but there's a, and there's nothing funny about the Word of God. But then there's a time where God gives us the understanding. And we may be totally off, but then we can align with what God is showing us, what he's telling us. So he says, the psalmist here says, give me understanding and I will keep your law. And that keep is to guard, to hide, to treasure. 
And that's how we are to approach the word of God, something we treasure. Psalm 35, uh, verse 35, Psalm 119, walk, make me walk in the path of your commandments. I think of the auto steering in some of the new cars and you're driving down the expressway, you're going down a path and it's to keep you in that path. He's asking God, keep me in that path. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. So again, it's an inclining. God, let my heart incline. Let me desire your word. So we arrive in verse 37, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time, verse 37. And this is the verse that we have for the youth winter retreat. So I'm practicing with you guys. The youth are going to give the real teaching. But seriously, we are here to study the Word of God, but then also to apply it, to receive it, to understand it. Verse 37 says, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. Revive me in your way. There's a turning away. There are things that we think are worth a lot, which are worthless. There's, there are things that we put a lot of emphasis in. I had a youth text me today asking me for, I don't know if he's here, several times, are we allowed to bring our phone to the winter retreat? Are we allowed to? And I'm like, no, we're not allowed to bring our phone to the winter retreat, and, you know, in love, because our focus is to receive from the Lord. We don't want any distraction. Um, there's so many things that, that, that are worthless to us. There's so many things that... If you're like me, I, I put um, sometimes emphasis on things that in the end they take, they do nothing for me in my walk with the Lord. You know, there's shows, there's programs, there's, there's games, there's things. And the turning away, to turn away from something that's worthless means that we turn to something that has value. So let's see what has value in Verse 37, we read, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. So we have God's way. And please turn to Isaiah 55, verse 8. We are to turn our eyes away from worthless things and to be revived in God's way. That revive is to live, it's to cause to live. As you're turning to Isaiah chapter 55, is to cause to live. You see, the psalmist begged God to transform his life. Every part of what he's asking, he's asking God to give him life. Isaiah chapter 55, verse eight, we read, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, 
and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, our hope does not depend on what we see, what we understand, what we feel, what we touch, what we taste. But our hope is in God's ways, which are different. And, and what we desire, and as we grow with the Lord, is to align our lives to that that God has, to his way. We depart from our way, and we align to God's way. I don't know if, I mean, I think if you have a license, you should know this. But to have a license, it's, a, it's not a right. It's not a right. It's a privilege. So to have a license, we have laws that we abide by. We have rules. You know, when the light's green, you go. When it's red, you stop. When it's yellow, you speed up, right? <laughs> you have the stop sign. You have different signs, what they mean. You have lines. You have rules for when pedestrians are on the road, rules when vehicles are on the expressway. You have rules for every kind of situation that may happen along the way. Speed limits. Yeah, I've, I've gotten some of those tickets. But um, that's, it's a rule. I broke a rule and there's a consequence. God is bigger than the Florida Department of Motor Vehicles. God is so much bigger than our government. God has rules. God has a way. He has a will for us. He has a pattern of living that he has put in his word. And how are we to respond to that? Revive me in your ways. When I, when I study God's word, I go to different versions because although many of, of the, the credible versions that we're reading um, use the same manuscripts, um, I have to just point out because some of you might have the NIV version, and I'm not knocking it, I'm just saying in this particular verse, um, it goes against most of the other credible, not goes against, but just interprets it a different way. It says, preserve my life according to your word. And in different places, word, the Hebrew word for word could be interpreted as way and, and way as word, but um, just note that if you're reading the NIV, um, it's a little different. And uh, to be honest, I, I don't uh, completely agree with this, the way it's brought, because there's a sense of, in the NIV, for this verse saying, preserve my life. And that goes against the message here, which is to revive, to give me life. I don't want my life to be preserved. I want God to give me his life. The Bible says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When God spoke into existence everything we know, it was a word. It was a spoken word, let there be light. 
So the earth was void, and as God spoke things to existence, they happened. And that's what we want. We want God to speak into us, into existence, things that we cannot naturally do ourselves. And that's the difference between being a believer and being a disciple, being somebody who truly wants to follow Jesus. We don't just believe, we don't just accept and take and choose the things that we want that make us comfortable, but we wholeheartedly want God's way, even though it may not align with my way, the way I'm thinking. To revive, to be made alive in God's way, requires repentance. Please turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And, and stick around in Isaiah because we're going to have a few, a couple more verses in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. Verse 3, we see Isaiah here in um, having an encounter with God, a true encounter. And in verse 3, he's seeing the seraphim, he's seeing the things that are happening, and then he experiences God's glory in verse 3. And they were calling to one another, speaking of the seraphim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, at the sound of their voice, voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And verse 5, Isaiah says, woe is me, I cried. I am ruined. I'm reading NIV, but I'm going <laughs> to, I switched to NIV, so now I'm reading NIV. So I'm going to switch to a New King James so that we're all on the same page. You can tell I don't like NIV, don't you? Can't you? But it's okay. It's, you know, maybe it's not okay. Okay. <laughs> So, verse 4, and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, which also means ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. Isaiah, at this point, this is chapter 5, right? Chapter 6. Five chapters, Isaiah is a prophet. Isaiah is a well-known prophet in Israel. Isaiah is a respected prophet. Isaiah's ministry is to speak, is to give the word of God, God's revelation, to speak it out loud. Verses, chapters 1 through 5, Isaiah in several places has said, has declared woes six times. Woe to this, woe to that, woe to this. 
But when he experienced God and his glory, he turns to woe is me. And that tool which he had, which was given by God, which that gift and, and that occupation, if you will, that, that ministry that he had of speaking, he realized even all those things I was saying, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among people with unclean lips. You know, the, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When there's revival, when there's new life, we realize how little we are, how flawed we are, how much we need God. We see how holy he is, and we realize how flawed we are. And it's a healthy thing because that leads us to repentance. And that leads us to having that heart of humility. To be alive in God's way requires humility. Turn to Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15, we read in the word of God, for the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says this, I live in a high and holy place and with the oppressed and lowly of spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. You don't have to turn to it, but Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, God says to the people of Israel, He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known, so that you may learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He humbled you. God lives with the lowly. God lives with the oppressed. Our situations, when we are down, when we are hurt, when we are humbled, sometimes there's a humility that we're, it's, it's forced upon us, right? It's good, it's healthy for us to turn to God and realize that He is there with the lowly, that the brokenness that we have is actually a good thing when we have God in our lives, when our heart is to ask him to revive us, to give us new life. I've said this um, many times, but it's just one of the recent testimonies in my life is that when I was in the hospital with, for COVID and um, nobody can visit, you know, it was, it was in the heart of, of all the fears going on with COVID and um, could hardly breathe. And it was one of the best experiences I had with God. And in some ways I miss it because I was forced to be humbled, to not sleep, 
to the middle of the night have, have them draw blood and be told that they don't know how long this is going to take and having things on me and people couldn't visit. I couldn't be calling on the phone because I could hardly speak, but God was there. I had his word. I was praying. That's all I could do. I was forced. It was forced upon me. That's how we should react when things come against us, when things bring us and force us into that humble state, is to realize as a verse that I have been um, reading over and over is Philippians 3.10, where Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may be conformed to his life. Let me read that again. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul's not speaking of a physical resurrection because he's writing this. The psalmist is not asking for a physical revival because he's writing this. But there is a resurrection, there is a revival that's not something we can understand and see, not, not something with our bodies, but it's of the Spirit. It's, it's God. I think we should stop right now and pray for, for Missy Cell. And, um, you know, I know what it feels like to not have breath, but I don't know what it feels like for the struggle that her and, you know, Pastor Raz have gone through for such a long time. So let's, let's pray. God, we thank you that, that we are not in this life hopeless, that there's a hope that we don't understand, that we can't see with our eyes or hear with our ears or feel or touch or taste, but there's a hope that comes from you. There's a hope for eternity, and there's a hope to know you and the power of your resurrection. There's a hope to have fellowship in suffering. So I pray, Lord, for Missy Cell and Pastor Raz and the things that are going on, and we just pray for, for a revival, for a renewal, for a healing, for a touch for a newness that even though the outwardly may be perishing, the inwardly could be renewed. So we put them in your hands. We put Esau in your hands. Amen. So there's a humility to, to come alive in God's way requires the cross. So go back to Isaiah chapter 6 and as you're there you don't have to turn to it but I'm going to read from Galatians I, I mentioned this chapter 2 verse 20 um, I've been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live 
but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. Um, Isaiah 6, we, we, we read, we just read about how Isaiah was brought to humility and recognized that he is in need, that he doesn't live up to the holiness of God. Woe is me. And then verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, says Isaiah, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. That's the joy that we have in God. That's the freedom that we have in Jesus. That coal came from the altar. Now, we're in God's throne. You know, this is from God's throne. So what is an altar for? It's for sacrifice. That coal came from the sacrifice. That resembles the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the cross. And a coal that comes to your mouth, a coal that comes in touch with you, is something that it's the last thing you want to touch you. It's hot. It'll burn you. But that coal is what he needed to be cleansed. Jesus took upon himself that burn, that wrath on the cross. And there's no mention here about pain. There's no mention here about how unbearable this was. There's just a mention of the cold touching and there being a healing, a forgiveness. So we have that forgiveness. It, it's so free. It's so effortless. And we have it in Jesus. We have it based on what he's done on the cross. We receive it. We say, yes, Lord, I want that. And he forgives us. And to know God's life and his way is to surrender to God's way. Please turn to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, we read, Let the wicked, verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the righteous, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Lord, revive us in your way. Let us forsake our way. To come to God's way, to be revived in his way, there's a humility, there is a need for repentance, there is a need for his cross and understanding how much we're lacking and we need his holiness. There's a surrender. You don't have to turn to it, but in Luke chapter 138, when Mary received the news about Jesus, and keep in mind, this wasn't all good news because she received a word that she was going to go through something very uncomfortable in trying to explain what's happening, that this is God in her, that this was not her sin. And this is what she says, Behold, the servant of the Lord, let it be done to me according to your word. 
That's how our lives should be. That's how our reaction to God to be. That's how our heart should be for the Lord. Let it be done to us. And again, there's that servant. There's that humility. We want to have God's favor. We want to have God's blessing. We want to have fellowship with God. We want to have God's holiness. But we're not willing to give up our wickedness and our failures and our, and our sins. We need to let go of that. We need to surrender to the Lord. To come to a place of being vulnerable. Um, on New Year's, I had somebody um, bring me. We were trying to start a fire pit. And it wasn't working. We didn't have the wood, first of all. And it was humid. And um, so somebody, it was Derek, Derek and Adam. Adam lives in my neighborhood. They're like, okay, let's go look for a Christmas tree. So they went, they went and I don't know how they did it. There's a whole story behind it. But they brought this big, fat Christmas tree. And they brought it and then they put it in my backyard and we cut some branches and, and some of them lit up. But it was so humid that we couldn't get some of the trunks to light up. And yeah, you know, so we spent some time trying to do it and, and there was all this humidity, all this, it just didn't work. And the tree was very alive. It was very alive. So if you know anything about fires and, and you know, doing fires for your s'mores, you know that you don't use trunks that are alive, right? So that happened and then there was a big tree still left in my yard. I'm going to say about that tree, but before we get to that, um, the psalmist in Psalm 119.25 says, revive me according to your word. You don't have to turn to all this, but just keep, keep note. In Psalm 119 verse 30, revive me according to your righteousness. Psalm 37, verse 37, 119 verse 37, revive me according to your way. Your word, your righteousness, your way. In, in John 1.11, we read, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1.14, the word became flesh, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory of the one, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see the word is Jesus. And the psalmist says, revive me according to your word. We see in 1 Corinthians 1.30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So we see we're revived by righteousness, his righteousness, which is Jesus. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Psalm 37, revive me in your way, your righteousness, your word, you see, we cannot come alive spiritually if it's not 
through the power of Jesus, if it's not by what he's done on the cross for us. Going back to the Christmas tree in my backyard, the next day, I thought, what am I going to do with this? So we had this fire pit. I started breaking branches, cutting them, and putting them to fire. And I thought of, um, and you know, when you light the branches, they'll, they'll come up pretty quick. And, and then they started dying away. It, was, it wasn't humid during the day, so it was easier to, to burn them. And I, I thought of something I read once, how we want to be on fire for the Lord. We want to be on fire for the Lord. I mean, if, if you have any zeal, any, any like burden to be walking with the Lord, to be useful, you want to be on fire. But the thing is, we're not the fire. We're the wood that is feeding the fire. And as I'm putting these branches I'm just thinking about how we are to die to ourselves, And there's so many things that, that we have. God could choose to just, we can put our whole life as one big Christmas tree that just burns up into flames, but it's just going to burn up fast and then ashes. But in cutting up this tree limb by limb, you know Christmas trees have a lot of limbs, so it's each one and putting it there let, letting it you know, go into flames and it goes into flames fast and then the, the branch turns into ashes and some ashes fly, disappears. The rest disappears. I think about the things I need to die in my life for Jesus and the things that I have died to and how much joy God has given me because I died to these things. So little by little, branch, putting it to flame, branch, putting to flames. That's how we are to live our life. If you want to be on fire for God, put to death those things, little by little. This person said such and such about me, and I never was able to explain it. I never was able to fix the situation, but God... I burn this. I give it to you. And it, the fire goes up. God gets the glory. This person I never forgave, but God, I die to this. I forgive them. This habit that I have, I, I just keep doing this, but I, I don't want to do this anymore. God, I throw this into your, the fire. I give it to you. The fire goes up. God gets the glory. Lord, this area, I don't want to serve in this way, but this is what you've called me to. I give it to you. The fire goes up, the glory goes to the Lord. Little by little, putting away things that we have in our lives is what God calls us to so that he can receive the glory. There's no room for pride in his presence. As you're walking with the Lord, as you're growing, if, you're, if, you're, if you step away from just the intellectual part and you, you start recognizing the fellowship of his sufferings, you start recognizing what it means to know Jesus more and more, you, you begin to 
sharp and, and realize what's his voice. I hear, you know, he's, he's speaking to me. Don't you want that? Are we, are we following a, a, a religion? Or, or do we want to really know him in this lifetime? Do we want to experience him comforting us, giving us peace, speaking to us, changing us? Don't we want that? And if we want that, then it means that we need to put to death the things that are keeping us from experiencing that. You see, no flesh will glory in his presence. No flesh. 1 Corinthians one twenty nine. No flesh will glory. Yet we want to hold on to our flesh. We want to hold on to our pride. We want to be right all the time. We want people to think well of us. We want people to speak only good things about our kids, about our family. We want to prosper. We want to get all the things that we want for Christmas, which we already got, and then now we're just thinking, what else can I get? We want all these things, and yet if we say we also want to know him, we're lying to ourselves. You have to give up some things. You have to give up the things that, are, that is part of our flesh, our understanding, so that we can receive his life. That's what it means to revive me in your ways. Lord, give me your life. You see, going back to that Christmas tree, we want to be the Christmas tree that has the ornaments. And we want the lights. We want people to walk in the room and say, wow, you're so cool. I see those ornaments. And we want the little lights flashing so that we see the lights. And we want people to walk in and they smell and ah, that smells so good. <laughs> but sometimes we're called to be that tree that's burning in the fire. And when you try to smell, you're like, <coughs> you're coughing, like that smoke. <laughs> but it's okay because the glory goes to God. He's the fire. And when we learn that lesson in the middle of our sufferings, in the middle of the things we're letting go, then we get to experience him and to know him and to hear his voice and to grow. So let's, this is a new year. This is the, the first Wednesday of the new year. I'm sure many of us have already broken our resolutions, but let's turn our hearts to Jesus. Let's, recognize what he's done for us, that he's paid the penalty, he's took, taken upon himself the suffering. Let us come near and receive from him. Let us ask for that revival, that renewal. Let us put to death the things that we're holding on to. So as the worship team comes up front, we're, uh, and pastors uh, will, will come up front, I think it would be good for us to consider what we think is important and what is important to God. Weigh the two 
and surrender those things that we know that we need to die to. Those things that we think are important, but we need to surrender them to the living God so that we may know him, so that we may experience him in a new way. So as the pastors come up for prayer, I encourage you, don't hold in things that you know that you need prayer for. We're not doing this alone. Um, we need the Lord. And when we're afraid to come up, when we're afraid to talk to people, it, it's a pride. It's a pride. It's just saying, I don't need those other people. I don't need people to see me. So be that branch. Throw it to the fire and say, okay, God, let people see me. Let people know that I'm a sinner, but God, to you be the glory. I want to know you. I want to hear your voice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you give us that ability to come to you, that you have given us salvation, that Jesus, you paid the price on the cross. You took upon yourself the fire, the penalty, the heat. There's the consequences of our sins. And we are to just simply come to you. And you freely cleanse us. You freely forgive us like that coal in, that we read about in Isaiah. So Lord, we come to you now. Forgive us for our desire to be great our desire to hold on to our pride. Forgive us for the arguments we had with the family members and during the holidays, for the words that were spoken, for the bitterness, for the bitterness that we've hold, held on to for years. God, how foolish of us. Forgive us. We're no worthy, Lord. Here we are saying woe to all these people around us in our pride, but Lord, woe is me. I know nothing. We need you, God. And short of a miracle, we cannot be revived, God. So we surrender to you. We ask for your life to fill us. Fill us with your presence. Thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, speak to us. Work in us, we pray. Amen.